from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Wow Report. Counting down the top 10 things of the week that made us go... Wow! Wow! I'm co-founder of World of Wonder, Fenton Bailey, joined by my colleagues, Tom Campbell, our chief creative officer. Hello, hello, hello. And James St. James, host of WoW's podcast, Night Fever. Yes, chugging along, getting it done, ready for season four. Tom and I are both in this. We are actually, well, Tom, you're on top of me. I hate to say it. Ooh, la, la. <laughs> Tom's right up there. My background is blurred because of my unmade bed. For those of you watching on WoW Presents, our YouTube channel. But for you listening, you will not know the difference. <laughs> I'm still on top. <laughs> is, yeah, honey, yes, always. Let's start the countdown at mm, number 10. Number 10. I have been traveling a lot. I had a panic email to you guys last night. So I'm like, I haven't seen anything. I've just been sleeping and working. And then I took a moment, and thanks to your guidance, and I, I've been doing quite a bit. So I'm going to tell you a little bit of travels with Tom, because this week, in this past seven days, I've been in three countries on three different continents, and I'm very wow. grateful for that. I was in the UK. The next to last night I was there, I went to Camden. Is that right? North of London? Yeah. Camden, yeah, which is to a like a very artsy kind of theater complex. Pub. Now, is, is is this where Lady Camden is from? Perhaps, perhaps. <laughs> and to see the original production of Gwyneth Goes Skiing, the musical. Oh wow! Okay, I know about it and love it because Leland Brett McLaughlin, who does all the music for Troy Sivan and, and he did, he wrote shares GJ pay Christmas song. He co-wrote that he's done all the music for it. And he met the creators of Diana, the musical, which was also a parody. It's a production company called awkward productions and the creators and stars of the show are Linus Carp and Joseph Martin. Um, one plays uh, uh, Gwyneth and the other plays the doctor who was uh, Dr. Sanderson. And the only other thing I want to tell you is it's, it's done in the UK, but it's coming to Utah to the Egyptian theater in park city. It's a lips. It's like a musical in that they lip sync the music. They act, but they lip sync the musical, the music. And, um, and they're just getting daring Chris to do the male part and Kat Cohen from oh, we, what wow. we do in the shadows. That's a, that's a get. Now, the way this is based on the big Gwyneth Paltrow trial of last year. Yes. And do they reenact the skiing accident? Yes, they do. It's, it is so low budget, it, which, is, it, which frees it up to be as camp as can be. <laughs> you know, I'm coming from a TV set. I go the night to see it. Um, it's sold out by the way. And Alan Carr from the UK happens just to be there. It's a hot, hot ticket. It was. And I'm sitting there and I'm starting to do that awful thing that you do as a producer and network executive. Like, well, I would shorten this and I would lengthen this. And then you realize, no, 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 no. It's perfection. It's perfection. Um, th what they do is there's just two people playing the parts and, you know, the, the Gwyneth and the doctor. At one point, the doctor uh, has a puppet to play his defense attorney. And then the rest of it, they draw people from the audience Full of fabulous queer people to come up and read prompters to play other parts. So it's kind of genius and and stupid and funny. And I love that it's lip synced. I, I just feel like it's there's always been off Broadway. There's always been camp, and this is just a great another example of it. It's not, I love know, the idea of getting people in the audience to read the parts because like it's like just dispenses with the need for actors. It's like yes. you over there, you come and do this. Yes. I hate uh, audience participation things where the people, they come and they get you. I always cringe when they say, we need someone for the audience. And I always think, no, not me, not me. But uh, but apparently it works in this case. Well, they're not professionals. I think they have been asked prior to the, you know, oh, okay, the actual okay. opening of the thing. So they show up and they just milk every moment. But that was hilarious. That was fun. I'm just going to, and, and it's coming to Park City and it might be going to Broadway. So we'll keep you posted on it. But, and I'm sure they're going to make changes and do things. But it's, it's hilarious. Oh, and, and the actor that plays Gwyneth um, also had been like Alan Carr's assistant or something years ago. And she just plays very droll, very droll. <sighs> and apples and apples, spoiler alert. Um, um, <laughs> the, um, the next night uh, we finish up. 
I jump on a plane. I am going ultimately to Chattanooga, Tennessee to do an interview, but I have to go through uh, uh, Charleston, North Carolina. I think that's right. And so we have to switch planes and we're waiting at the gate. And there's this lovely uh, older woman who is in the front line to get onto the flight. She's in a wheelchair and she's sitting there. We're all waiting and very close to our boarding time. Like it's like five or 10 minutes. They switch the gates. There's nothing wrong with the plane. So everyone rushes over and the woman in the wheelchair is just there. And I'm like, she doesn't have her person to bring her on anymore. And I just said to the flight person, the flight attendant person or whatever at the counter, I said, is it all right if I move her or is it against the law? They go, go right ahead. So I made, I feel like this is my problem. I feel like in my head, I'm a 14 year old boy scout helping a little (laughs) lady across the street. So I get her thing. She's lovely. She's just come from a cruise. She's with a gaggle of gals. We're all walking together. We're laughing and having a great time. And then I leave her at the gate. You know, we, we separate sadly. And then when we get on the plane, it's one of those like two rows on one side, one row, you know, a little puddle jumper. And I'm sitting there and one of her gal pals comes up and goes, did you get that guy's number? Are you going on a date? And I realize that I'm not a Boy Scout. I am a potential dating pool for the little old lady I helped across. <laughs> so that was my rude awakening. I, I would date her, by the way. She was delightful. And I have more to talk about <laughs> cruise ships in a little because I am now in New Zealand, which we'll talk about later on. I have a, a, a sort of rude awakening story like that. I was sat on a plane that was delayed and I'm very good at the force field about like no one talked to me. I just, and I was sitting at my computer working like, you know, performatively. Oh, oh like, we're all aware of that force field. Continue. Okay, yeah. thank you. Anyway, so the person next to me breaches the wall and says, you're working very hard, aren't you? And I sort of say, oh, yes, you know, lots to do, things to do. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says, but aren't you retired? <laughs> and I looked at him like, what? And then he said, well, how old are you? Did you cover your neck at that point with your hand and go, I don't know what you mean, sir? Oh, my God. I've ever heard. That's terrible. It is. is. This wouldn't have happened if you were wearing that hat with the hair. Today on Kelly and Mark, um, they had the new Bachelor on and they were talking and they were saying that the, the golden bachelorette was coming up and they were possibly thinking of having Kathy Lee Gifford do it. And the guy said, who's that? I have, who, who, who is that? He didn't know. He said, he said, I'm 28. Why, how would I know who Kathy Lee Gifford is? Um, today's show, ten, the, the, the third hour of today's show. For Kathy Lee Johnson. Hello. It's a terrible world. Really. All right, let's move on to number nine, James. Number nine. Number nine, Mr. and Mrs. Smith uh, on Prime, uh, starring Donald Glover and Maya Erskine. I've been watching it. It's gotten terrible reviews. I see Tom going, but no. No, no, no. It's it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, It also stars Paul Dano, Parker Posey, Alexandra Skarsgård, Ron Perlman, Sarah Paulson. The cast is absolutely incredible. Um, It's amazing guest stars every week. It's not so much based on the movie with Angelina Jolie and Red Pitt. I don't know if you, you remember that a few years ago. But the premise is kind of the same. They're super spies. They're given new identities. And this new identity is that they're a married couple, John and Jane Smith. And they have to move in together and work together as a couple. And in the beginning, they bicker and they fight. But then over the course of the episodes, they start to fall in love. And it's it's basically each episode is a self-contained episode. They're given a mission that they have to do. And it's very bloody and violent. But it's Donald Glover writes it all. And Donald Glover is absolutely genius. I don't know if you ever watched Atlanta or whatever. I did. Um, I did. But he's he's so good in it, and it's very understated. The dialogue feels improvised a lot of the time. But what was the married couple show in the seventies? Heart to heart. It's, heart to sometimes heart. it's not so much, uh, you know, Mr. And Mrs. Smith with Angela. It feels very heart to heart. Jonathan, help! <laughs> is uh, my favorite show of all time. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like I said, it's gotten bad reviews. But I think it's people who are just going into it expecting the Angelina Jolie, Brad Pitt thing that were disappointed. 
Uh, Wasn't you this also, though, created during when Donald Glover was going out with Phoebe Waller-Bridges? And they were partnered on the project. And during the course of putting it together, they broke up. It's funny how, like, because Mr. and Mrs. Smith, the original, right, was Brad Pitt and Ange- Angelina Jolie getting together, a sort of couple oh, of the century. Right, and this right. was also a very high-profile relationship thing. And that it was a bad breakup. And there's a lot of, like, coverage of them who, you know, like, seems to be related to they had a falling out over creative direction. And, and at the uh, risk okay. of being super crude... Natalie Wood died during the beginning of Heart to Heart. Okay, go on. Keep talking. Oh. It's cursed. But it was just a short little thing. I'm, I'm five episodes into it. I'm riveted. I can't stop watching it. I, I binged it all last night, and I'm just, I'm loving it. Is it on Amazon? Ooh. Is that right? It's on Prime. Yes. Yeah. Streaming on Amazon Prime. Okay. Number eight. Number eight. Bad gays. You know, um, Jennifer Coolidge in White Lotus, you know, these gays are trying to murder me. And that sort of prompted a little trend observation of bad gays. Well, I didn't know and just became aware of it. There's a podcast called Bad Gays. And it's hosted by Hugh Lemmy and Ben Miller. And um, each episode of the podcast, they take a legendary gay who is a bad gay. When I was turned on to this, I thought, oh, this is exciting. Going to have lots of fun, juicy, you know, like sort of bad gays, but delicious gays, sort of bad, but good. And the list, you know, you know, they seem to take to task deserving topics uh, or characters, I should say, like Karl Lagerfeld is a recent episode Lawrence of Arabia, Ernst Rome, leader of the brown shirts who brought Hitler to power. So he seems like a bad gay. Alfred Lord Douglas, also known as Bosey, who was Oscar Wilde's lover, who relationship with Oscar Wilde led him ultimately to ruin um, Oscar Wilde's ruin. Truman Capote, obviously very much in the news with the swans. James St. James. (laughs) But then the list, I mean, and so I'm okay. I can, you know, I can learn about bad gays. And, but then Andy Warhol's on the list and Liberace's on the list. And I'm thinking, okay, okay. I, I'm assuming this is a kitschy celebration. However, and I'm glad I did this, I started to listen to one of the episodes rather than just talking about it here on the Rattle Report. Without having checked Who are you actually did your research? You did your due diligence? I did, I did my own research. And they've also written a book. I mean, because this Bad Gays podcast has taken off because I think it's a good title. It's a sticky title and it's become quite big. And they've actually also published a book at the end of last year, also called Bad Gays. So I was reading the introduction to the book and there's lines like the failure of homosexuality as an identity and political project. And then that obviously the homosexual movement has tried to claim normalcy at the expense of the gender non-conforming others. And then it goes on like a long history of failure, failed, multiple failed attempts at liberation. Where they seem to be coming from is a very sort of Judge Judy, righteous, woke perspective, where unapologetically they are applying the now definition of homosexual to then, which is always, I think, a risky undertaking to sit in judgment on people without taking into account the context of the times. Context. Thank you. Thank you. And in fairness to them on the podcast, they do give you the context and they still sit in judgment. And I'm sort of about halfway through the Liberace episode. You know, Liberace is without question, a controversial figure in terms of the fact that he died from AIDS. He never owned it. And I feel that the shame of that has essentially dimmed his reputation significantly. The HBO series, I don't think, did him any favors and, and was even though well acted. It was still a kind of a like, let's laugh at the sissies kind of exercise. And so I was disappointed that these two gays, these good gays, these professorial intellectual gays, kind of, you can just tell the way they're setting up the Barachi episode, you know, they mentioned his list. And they're like, you know, coming down on his 
excessive taste. Kind of, I would say here, kind of not getting the joke. And while I think it's, I, I'm totally in favor of a bad gays podcast. Being gay is not a moral state of grace. You know, we're not morally superior. But at the same time, don't let's hide under some modern politically correct idea to essentially join the pile on in judging people, right? I, I mean, I'm going to stick well, with it. So, and I'm really gonna... so much of today's cancel culture comes from people who do not do their due diligence and, and figure out the context of, of things in their time. They apply 2024 morality onto people in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s that had no way of knowing. We've talked about this before, uh, of, of separating art from the artists and, and things like that, where there's no way of telling Liberace that he needs to act like 2024 when right. he lived from a different time. And we're doing this 20th century kind of analysis. Queers have been around since the beginning of time, existing, finding their place, rightly or wrongly. You know, it's it's this huge, you know, story of mankind, person kind. Because like gay marriage, as an old gay, I didn't think that would happen. Gay marriage equality would happen in our lifetime. When it was perking up, I, I was like, I don't think so. And it did. And then I realized I don't want to be married. No offense to anyone. But I love the idea that I can be, you know, whether you're queer or straight or whatever you identify as, you, you can be nonconformist and weird or you can like it all should be available to you. Right. That's that's yeah. so. So Liberace can also be in the closet, by the way. And what a horrible time it was to be Liberace and in the 50s and worry about, you know, he was a showman. He wanted to entertain. That would have taken it all away. But what he did was. He brought queer ideas into the mainstream, kind of like a Trojan horse. So he yeah. was a radical and he perjured himself on the stand in the court in the UK and, you know, said he wasn't gay, for which he's been judged. But he had to do that to win the case. Yeah. And, and, and it's the case, also, you, why throw the baby out with the bathwater when there's well, so much to celebrate with Liberace? Yeah. And of course, they are having their, their cake and eating it too, right? They're having yeah. it both ways. I just think that the judgment, so we could just probably do a bit more celebrating and a little le less uh, judging. And they're right. You know, yes, the construction of homosexuality has changed through the ages. It's always going to change. It doesn't mean anyone's failed. That's like, that is life. That is, everything changes. All our social systems change and our ideas of who we are. So it's a it's a weird it's a sort of weird thing. On the one hand, they seem to be judging. Well, they're very open about it. They're judging white male homosexual as a sort of pernicious thing, and absolutely flaws and failures. And but 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 I would like the final word. I bet mm. you these guys don't know who Kathy Lee Gifford is. Moving on. Great. <laughs> Maybe she'll get her own episode. Anyway, they're just the newest episode is Joe Orton and Kenneth Hallowell um, taking him to task because what, what? I, I, you know, brilliant, brilliant play, right? Right, beaten to death by his lover, Kenneth Hallowell, and a tragic thing. But that whole thing is, you know, abused um, children in Tunisia. So I, I haven't got to that bit, so I'm not gonna. I don't know anything about that. So <sighs> let's take a break. Blake, do you have a question for us? I do. Do you guys know what Thursday is? Day before Friday. Oh, 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 stay <laughs> We'll have the answer right after the break here on the Wow Report. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with Tom and James and Blake. You had a question for us. Yeah, what is next Thursday? <laughs> next I think it's leap day of leap year. It is, yes. What superhero was born on Leap Day? That was the true question. Frogman. Close. James. Uh, Superman. I don't know. Yes. Fine. Superman. He was born on Leap Day. I'll be damned. Yes, sir. We are counting down the top 10 things of the week that made us go, wow, and we've reached number seven. Tom. Number seven. Travels with Tom continues. So I was in Chattanooga a few days. Delightful, was had to work the whole time, would love to go back. I've been to Nashville now and I've been to Chattanooga. And I kind of love Tennessee, even though I'm told it's there's definitely queer people and blue bubbles there, but it's a very conservative state. But I love the feel of it anyway. So then 
I get on my plane, I go 90 hours, whatever it is, to uh, where I'm in New Zealand, where Fenton and I both are. And we are at a brand new hotel. We've been here before. And we are literally on a pier on and on the Auckland, you know, uh, Bay Harbor and the, the aqueduct. And it's beautiful. And I sat last night with my chicken Caesar salad and I watched the sunset and sail. Sh- I mean, it's really spectacular. What could I complain about? Could it be that the the roar of the ocean that I'm hearing is is that what that what you're complaining about? What you might be hearing, James, is giant, humongous cruise ships. They come and go every other day. It invites thousands of gray haired people from all over the world to come and go, and cars and luggage. And um, I have to say, we, we we've all been very judgy. And I want about oh, I would never go on a cruise, and I'm such better than a cruise person. I don't know that I am. And then the other night, I was I was in front of the hotel on this little perch where I was watching ships go by, and one of the it was a, it was like the Princess Carnival. It was like the Love Boat one, and it it backed up, and I was like, I was in awe. It was like I was in Jurassic Park seeing this giant beast of a boat back up, yeah. turn around and go away. And I thought of every TCM movie we've ever seen, James, where people go and throw. No one was throwing uh, uh, confetti and streamers. And but the, it really, the beginning of every Love Boat episode. Yes. It was an awesome thing to see. Anyway, anyway. Because the hotel is on a pier, as Tom says. These cruise ships, they are bigger than the hotel. And they just back in alongside. And like, you're like, you open your net curtains and there's a pothole. Like, (laughs) or like, you're like, oh, hey. (laughs) (laughs) They're like cities. I mean, silly thing to say that, but they are the icon of the seas. I think the largest one ever. It is a giant. What? How many people? Like, I don't know. 10, 15,000 people. And they just keep getting bigger and they're making more and more of them. What what um, about the poo? That's all I can think of is how much poo is being dumped out in and the middle of the ocean. the norovirus and how contaminated all the food is and just people. But Fenton, you made me aware of cruise ships have a relatively short shelf life. Yeah. And then they go to, a, tell, tell me about this. There's like three graveyards in the world. I think one's in Nairobi and one's in India and one's somewhere else. And they literally just run the ships ashore on the ground Kind of like in that um, Leave the World Behind Netflix movie. They just like come up on the beach and then they just (laughs) carve them up. But apparently it's a really dangerous job, as you can imagine. Not just the chemicals that get released, but also like taking about a 15-story building that's just on the beach, carving it in slices like a cake. You know, I wish they'd explode them like Las Vegas hotels. (laughs) That's what they should do. Do you think someone is in there driving them onto the shore? Yeah. I mean, that's how they Hard. had to. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Like, that's I mean, a job you never knew you could get. That would be a great job for Blake. Um, Just a quick survey before we move on. Who's been on a cruise ship? I have not. No, never. No. I have. Where Was it super gay? Uh, no. I was before I was out. It was my like freshman year of college. Me and three friends pretended that we were 25 because you actually can't get your own cabin until you're 25. And we got really drunk and had fun. It was fun. Citizens arrest. Mm-hmm. Huh. We went to like Mexico and Jamaica, which is the most not gay place in the world, I think. And Grand Cayman. Were you drunk the entire time? I was. Check. Yeah, my, my mother used to go on cruises with my aunt and uncle. They would go every year, and she loved it. She had so much fun. So. There are gay cruises, like oh yeah, no, I, I have a friend who does the who does all the gay cruises yeah. and just a whole. And there lot. are cruises for drag queens now. I would like to do a fit if I could do it like Betty Davis in Death on the Nile. If I could be like in a wheelchair, getting another golden crocodile, <laughs> drinking, you know, dressing up for dinner every night, my nineteen twenties outfit. See, I think like a riverboat cruise in Europe would be cool. Yeah, I could do that. Yeah, I remember That's Rudolph and the skyscraper um, that is parked across. The yeah, I, I remember um, Club King Rudolph uh, had a windfall, and he went took a year and went around the world and stopped it. You know, in every continent, in forty different cities, and said it was the best learning experience of his life. Yeah, I'd love to do that. 
You know what? I mean, the the poo is one concern, and the norovirus another, and also people people pass away on cruise ships because it's become the new sort of retirement option that people. It's cheaper to live on a cruise ship. It is cheaper to live on the yacht than it is to have a retirement home. Yeah. Somebody told us, I forget who, that if they're giving free ice cream away on the top of deck. It means that they had to make room in the freezer for dead people, that the morgue on the the boat overfloweth, and they have to move out the ice cream and move in bodies. No. So free ice cream? Free ice cream? Oh. Or, I, so thank you. Isn't Even that just that delicious? Nerve. That's like everything you need to know about cruises that will put you off for a lifetime. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Number six, James. Number six. Some of the most riveting court testimony in my lifetime happened last week. It is some of the best of of this century. I put it up there with um, Christine Blasey Ford uh, testifying in the Brett Kavanaugh thing. It was that the entire country, you guys were out of the country. The entire country stopped and watched as Fannie Willis, the Georgia prosecutor going after Trump in the electoral in the election fraud case in Georgia, took to the stand. She was accused of uh, sleeping with a staff member, um, which may or may not have contaminated the case, in which case the worst case scenario is that she gets replaced by a new person who either doesn't care to follow up on it. If they're a Trumper, they they don't have to follow up on the trial or best case scenario, she gets replaced and they have to have a new trial, but that doesn't start until 2026, 2027 when Trump might be in office and then it just automatically goes away. So she gets replaced no matter what now? Well, we don't know. I mean, those are the best and worst case scenarios if she does get replaced. Hopefully, they will. it will be decided in her favor. Either way, it was bad optics for her to do this. I don't think any criminal, I don't think it ruins the case, but it, she, she really shouldn't have done it. But she came to the courthouse. She took to the stand. She had a mission. She is a strong black woman who was not going to take shit from anybody and somebody on and people on social media were saying not since julia sugarbaker explained to atlanta about the night the lights went on in georgia has somebody in atlanta schooled the world so eloquently as this woman every time they, they'd ask a question and be like a yes or no question they'd say just answer yes and no yes or no and she'd say oh no you ask the question, you are getting the answer. And she would back it up and she would tell the story. And she would, at one point, she said something, she was talking about uh, taking money from a man or something like that, taking how he paid for trips. And she said, she said, a man is not a plan. He is a commitment. And the only man I have ever taken money from was my daddy. And several times, the judge had to say, okay, five minutes, we've got to go into because you're being combative, you're a little hostile. And she was like, I am not being hostile. I am telling the truth. And if you want the answers, I am going to give you the answers and you're going to listen to me. And then it says, a couple of times she said, don't get cute with me. I know what you're trying to do. I am not on trial here, blah, blah, blah. I mean, Helen- that's the truth. She held right? the court in her hand. She held the world in her hand. As and I hope I know Tom. I don't know if you've had a chance to watch. I watched it all. Thank you for the heads up. You texted yeah. me while it was happening, and I was yeah. able to watch clips. We all did. I she think. is. I want Fannie Willis for president. I want. I want Fannie Willis I, for president. I want Hunter Biden as her as her vice president. Those are the ways to make the Republicans' heads explode. <laughs> I have never seen a woman so in control and so just on it. She she was not going to take any guff from anybody. It was fascinating. Tom, what did what did you think? Someone showed the very moment she was called to the stand and she doesn't walk to the stand. She like moves it. She sits down and she goes, Before we start, I need I need three copies of the deposition or something. Like she was like in <laughs> yes. control at yes. the very, very beginning. And at one point, um, she said something like, no, you gave me the deposition. I'm going to read what is in it. And, you know, because they, they were trying to pull some sort of wool over her eyes. She, it was just spectacular 
courtroom theatrics. It was like something out of out of a one of our TCM movies. It was just brilliant. I think Leela needs to get started on the musical version. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fanny. Well, that's just it. I'm thinking that there needs to be a drag race challenge where people lip sync to her or or Ooh. bring her on, make her and Law Roach the new permanent guests. She is a black icon, a gay icon, a feminist icon. She is just, she is everything the world needs right now. Hallelujah. Resistor Hallelujah. of yeah. the week. And just, we haven't had it in a while, but just the resistor of the week. Right. Give her the month. Fantastic. Give her the leap year February month. Yes. We're not celebrating Black History anymore. We're making it. That's what I love. Right. The there you go. Black that's, that's how you land it. There you go. All right. Number five. Number five. Sora, I hardly know her. But there is more to this than that, which is that Sora is the new AI movie-making application. I'm probably using the wrong terms here, but... OpenAI is this company that they are the leaders in all things artificial intelligence. There was just recently a huge sort of boardroom struggle and coup because there are great concerns around AI and its safety and the, the consequences of AI. And of course, first we had AI brought out DALL-E, D-A-L-L-E, which was a sort of picture-making program. And then, of course, you, they brought out ChatGPT, which is a sort of writing program. Well, now they've just released Sora. Sora, I hardly know her. Sora is the movie-making piece, and apparently it is gobsmacking. Basically, you just give a few prompts, verbal prompts, written prompts, and it spits out a movie. Wait, is so, this where I saw Chris Hemsworth fucking Jason Momoa? Is, did, did, could I, that have been it? I could not possibly advise, James. I, I really have no idea what you saw. Wait, you haven't seen that one? Uh, could you drop that in my life. DMs, please? Thank you. <laughs> yes. But, because uh, that just sounds like porn, James. I don't know that well, that's no, no, AI. No, it's AI porn. It was, it was, it was going around. It, it was the same thing as like sort of the Taylor Swift stuff, but it was, it was AI porn of, of two, and it looked just like they were really having sex. Maybe it was just a favor dream. <laughs> <It's> a favor. <laughs> well, no, they, the, the test that they released actually was uh, New York City submerged like Atlantis with fish, whales, sea turtles, and sharks swimming through the streets of New York. So I don't think that's Jason. Oh, Momoa. maybe maybe mine was like a deep fake. Maybe that's what that was, right. which is oh, okay. Was, it's anyway, like, it's I'm not crazy. it's not completely perfect because in fact that this clip they released shows um fish were flying through the street and the sea was at street level. But I think it's the mistakes of AI that may actually be the creative genius there. You know, I love that. Look at you yeah. putting a little spin on AI. So basically, anyway. the problems we have with the pictures where there's like three arms and, and all that, and they can't get the fingers right and everything like that, there are glitches similar to that in, in the filming process. And the glitches are always the aesthetic. You know, Andy Warhol always said it's always about the mistakes. You know, they're the true creative inspiration. But it, the prospect of making a movie by AI of just like sitting here going and out comes the movie how exciting is that well it sounds but once again we're on a slippery slope with ai and i don't know that we need to be celebrating the the each every step forward for towards our own doom i don't know that we need to be well on that cheery note let's take a break okay let's we were talking about leap year People born on late day are called what? We'll have the answer for you right after the break here on Wow Report. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with James and Tom and Blake. Hi, and I asked, people born on late day, what are they called? Mistakes. (laughs) (laughs) February's children. (laughs) <laughs> they are called leaplings or leapers oh i love it come on my little leapling yes right. that's very funny on with the countdown we've reached number four 
Number four. Part of my aforementioned meltdown yesterday was I haven't seen anything. I haven't been watching TV. I haven't been going to movies. But I have been watching a lot of YouTube. And I found a special from 1998 that aired on CBS that I can't believe I missed. Though 98 was kind of a rough year. And it's called Sunny and Me Share Remembers. Oh. It's it's the same year that Believe came out, just to put it in share context. Sonny had passed away just, you know, like a year before. He'd got his, it starts off with him getting his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, you know, post posthumously. And 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 uh, you know, his kids are there from, you know, Chaz is there and 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 the his kids from uh, his second marriage. Um and it is beautiful and it it's such a classy thing for Cher to do. Because she puts Sonny, without hyping him, without making stuff up, she puts him in the proper context of how important he was to her, to music, to that era. And James, I asked you to do one thing this week. One thing. Did you watch the first three minutes I did, of the special? I did. I, I, ended up watch, I ended up watching all of it because I was absolutely enthralled with, with the class. Well, you're right. The class that she showed, the, the way that it because Sonny became a punchline sort of in his last years a little bit. And you forget just what a driving force he was, not only in their relationship and how important he was in her life, but just how important he was to the sixties and the seventies and what a, what a creative genius he was. And the love that she still had for this man shines through and she's so eloquent in the way that she talks about it. It was just, it was, it was absolutely riveting. You were absolutely right. I will say it's funny because it, when, the, when DVD sets were a thing and the Sunny and Cher show came out on DVD set, there was like the Cher director or whatever kind of, you know, track you could listen to Cher. And usually she's super self-absorbed. She's like, I remember that dress. She only remembers the clothes. I remember that dress. We wore it again with a heart. Like the Barbara Streisand memoir. Yes. Yes. But this was so clearly authored by her and from her memories. And I asked James to watch the first two minutes. Thank you for watching all of it. Because... She she remembered and pulled out this clip of them from the Sunny and Cher show from 1976 when they were both not married but still doing the show. <laughs> and it's just this thing I'm sure they did a million times where they're just doing the intro and Cher's like looking beautiful, bored with her arms crossed, and Sunny keeps messing up, and so he laughs. So they reslate. He laughs, and then at one point it just reaches that that pinnacle of absurdity of when, when, when the, the laugh genie has been escaped from the bottle and Cher leaves camera and you just hear her off in the, in the, in the, in the sides going, ooh, ooh, ooh. I've never heard that sound come from anybody. I've never heard that Cher. And it's, that's what she chose to start the whole special was because that she said is what she and Sonny shared. It's on YouTube. It's so easy to watch. And I was also blown away by how handsome he was. I, I make the joke because I was born in 63, setting share show was 71. It was, it captivated me as a child. I did, you know, I didn't know the 60s stuff. And I love the way it looked. I love the jokes. I love the mom and dad and the thing. And I always say too that when Sunny and Cher divorced, it was the closest divorce ever touched my family. <laughs> The sort of the narrative that that has sort of taken off is that she was she outgrew him, or that she you know that he married that he was lucky to be married to her, or whatever. She makes it perfectly clear that she was the lucky one to have him, you know, and yeah. that's something that that gets lost in in the story because she she loved it wasn't him idolizing this goddess; she was the one that was in love with him. Shawnee and me share remembers on YouTube. And you can watch it on YouTube, right? That's where yeah. you can get it. All right, James, number three. Number three. March is looking to be a fantastic month for memoirs. Of course, we have RuPaul's uh, House of Hidden Meanings, which comes out in a few weeks. We're looking very much forward to that. Uh, it was just announced that there's a major biography of Candy Darling coming out by Cynthia Carr. It's called Candy Darling, Dreamer, Icon, Superstar. And Cynthia Carr, of course, is the woman who did Fire in My Belly, the David Wojnarowicz biography that was, you know, a 1,500 pages. It was a doorstopper. And it was 
the reason it was the the catalyst for our own world of wonder documentary uh fuck you faggot fucker it was the thing that sort of got got everybody buzzing about david voinerovich again and this too looks to be an exhaustive memoir of her it's a thousand plus pages it's another doorstopper she spent 10 years working on it she had unlimited access to everything candy darling she spoke to her mother candy darling's mother who struggled so much with candy she at one point you know candy would be you know being photographed by scavulo and going to these parties with jane fonda and then she'd go home to long island and her mother would say don't let the neighbors see you walking in and out the door like she was just she was ashamed of her but then near the end she began to realize who it was her daughter was and how she was moving the needle and everything. And it's very, that her story is very poignant. She spoke to Jane Fonda, Lauren Hutton, uh, you know, all the Warhol people, Gerald Malanga, Jane Forth, Bob Colicello, Joe D'Alessandro, everybody who's still alive. Carr gave a fantastic interview in this week's uh, interview magazine, talking to Mel Ottenberg, the editor-in-chief of interview. And it's absolutely Fascinating to hear her process, her writing process, how it, what she did with those 10 years. It looks like it's just going to be absolutely spectacular. We're going to put a link up to the Mel Ottenberg interview with, uh, with um, Cynthia Carr. Uh, I haven't read it yet. I, I haven't. I've, I've pre-ordered it. And so we will probably in March have to do a whole episode yeah. with about Rue's book and about Cynthia Carr's. If you got all the biographies of all the Warhol superstars, but it would be an entire library, right? And I have the entire library here. But this this reexamines uh, her place in the pantheon of of Warhol superstars, and it really puts her at very much the forefront of of trans visibility of of so mm-hmm. I mean so many groundbreaking aspects to her life and this poignancy of her life where she never got the breakthrough that she deserved she was never able to profit from her fame she was never able to be given the platform other than you know women in revolt and, and it never really happened for her in a way that that should have and the the sadness that she had that she was never able to accomplish her dreams comes mm-hmm. through in her diaries and everything it's a it's a fascinating life story and i just i i hope that it, i i hope it gets the the critical acclaim and i hope it gets the the biography and the documentary and everything that it needs and for our listeners i just want to say that link will be at worldofwonder.net slash wow report and we'll put it on our twitter and instagram as well put it in the comment thank you number two number two did you know there is still a space race the space race is for the first piece of art on the moon and uh, it looks like Jeff Koons is going to win it. Jeff Koons, of course, is, is famous as uh, for his bunny sculpture, which I think is, to this day, the most uh, the priciest piece of contemporary art uh, or single work of art. Speaking uh, out Damien Hirst, he's, he's, he sells more than Damien? Apparently. I mean, I forget what the category is, but whatever it is, he's the number category one. Is... The category is... Um, but anyway, he's about to win the space race to have the first authorized art installation to make it to the moon. So here's what happened. Last, uh, the day after Valentine's Day, um, the rocket took off um, and on board is his sculpture. And the sculpture is called Moon Phases. And it's 125 mini sculptures of the moon in different phases. And each one has the name of someone engraved on it, like, David Bowie, Alexander the Great, Amelia Earhart, uh, Kierkegaard, Sonny Bono, Andy oh, Darwin, Rupaul, you know, James St. James. <laughs> All the bad gays are on their way to the moon. <laughs> um, That's but and it hasn't landed yet, or it might have landed by the time this show airs. It's due to land on, on today, Friday, as a matter of fact. So but and and until touchdown is affected, it, it may not make it because apparently there has, has been no successful landing on the moon since 1972. That was yeah. the last time we successfully touched down on the moon. 
Wait, didn't didn't the Chinese just say they're the India or somebody just say that they landed? Mm, didn't make it. To, didn't make it to the Google in the U.S. Like, okay, I'm sorry. No, no, I right. thought when you started this piece, I thought you were going to talk about something I read in the New York Times very briefly, which is about the Russians are going to put are trying to put a nuclear warhead in space. Thank God it, we didn't go there. Thank you, Fenton. Thank you no, for keeping right. it hearty. There's a slight discrepancy here because, well, two things. One, in 2023, last year, in fact, Sasha Jaffrey, he tried to put a piece of work on the moon. Um, it was on the Peregrine Moonlander, and it took off January the 8th, and it never made it. It failed, and it, it crashed. So he lost that space race. But also, in 1971, Apollo 15, they left a little aluminum figure behind by Paul Van Hoyerdonk. Um, to commemorate the 14 people who'd lost their life in the, in the race to land on the moon. That was in 1971. But, but it was not an authorized art installation. So well, many rules. So many rules. I mean, is there like major competition among fierce Martians for all this art or... Exactly. It's not it's not the world's most useful thing to have a piece of art on the moon. So who can tell? I go back to the Lily Tomlin's In Search of Intelligent Life in the Universe, where she has the Campbell soup can and the Warhol. She goes, soup, art, soup, art. This is soup. This is art. Let's take one more break. And when we come back, reveal the number one thing that made us go wow this week here on the Wow Report. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to The Wow Report. Fenton here with Tom and James and Blake. We've been counting down the top 10 things of the week, and we've reached number one. Number one. Number one. I uh, thought we couldn't let the week pass without talking about the death of Alexander Navalny in the Soviet Union. I asked Fenton about his thoughts because Fenton has spoken about him many times, and there was the great CNN documentary that came out. Was it last year that they're reshowing now? Um, Won there, the Oscar games. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there there have been a number of of uh, so much about him in the news. And your response to me was was very poignant and sad. What was it that you had said? Oh, um, I think <laughs> I think I said I was. I find it hard to process in the sense that it was inevitable that this would happen. We were warned in the documentary that this would happen. He spoke in the documentary and said, when I am killed, you must continue. Such a powerful, it's such a powerful, powerful film. And so when it happens, you've been told so many times it's going to happen. We've been following him from prison to prison, from near-death experience to near-death experience. And yet, what a terrible loss. And how do we, how will we ever know what really happened and I think for me, the, the one of the most depressing and anger-making things is some of the naysayers like Trump, like Musk, like the right wing. You know, how do you explain? I, I don't know if you saw, they asked Trump about something about his, his court appearances. And he said, well, you know, I, 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 it's, it's very Navalny what's happening to me. And you just... Like the, uh, the 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 gall of this man. Ooh. I I wanted to. I have two questions about this, and I wonder after everything that happened last week with Tucker Carlson being you know interviewing Putin and doing that whole fawning fluff piece about how wonderful life is in Russia and Trump saying about NATO, how he would turn his back if Putin wanted to invade a NATO yeah. country and everything like that. My questions are, was Putin emboldened by Carlson and Trump to do this or were Trump and Tucker doing pre-damage control because they were told by, you know, by the Kremlin that this was coming? Which which came first? Because there it can't be a mistake that all this puff piece about uh, all this pro Putin came out the week before Putin did this. So was he emboldened by them, or were they doing damage control? What do you think, Fenton? I think it is such a repulsive idea to contemplate. It's hard to know, uh, other than to I or, guess conclude that like something nefarious is is a foot, but, but why now? Like why, 
I, I, uh, it's like, I'm sorry. Well, I'm like, oh, Putin's playing and them all. Then we hey. also learned just, just this week that the whole testimony against Joe Biden, Marisima, anti Hunter Biden, everything was that the, the Republicans were being fed false information from a, their source who turned out to be a Russian informant. So it seems like there's a lot going on Russia-wise that is happening within the Republican Party that is is it's needs to be rooted out and and I don't I don't know that it will be. I I just I I fear for in 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 what this does that if Putin gets away with it, how emboldened does he go from what 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 happens from here? So true, but I do think the resistance, right? You just continue to defy these these terrible forces, and I don't I don't think they're as smart or as organized, James, as conspiracy makes them appear. They're ultimately we're talking about sort of slightly evil, incompetent people, and <laughs> that well, that we must but, but we must defy them. Incompetent people are are on their side are swaying the incompetent idiots on our side, you know? So, I mean, there, there's, there's incompetent idiots on both sides, but, but together they are sort of legion and it is, it's, hey, it's Putin, hard to fight. Putin is playing them all. Putin is playing yeah, them all. Yeah. As a, as a sort of chaos agent, right? Tom, just sort yeah. of the, yeah. that flooding the zone with shit. Like you can't really figure out a, a clear goal other than to create, Chaos and so dissension. Right. Oh. Well, this has really been a fun show, you guys, up until number one. It was a fun thing to think on. Just go back to 1972 in your mind. Life was better. There you go. There you go. Thank you, James. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Blake. And thank you for listening to the Wow Report. Same time, same place next week. Until then, go out and do something that makes the world go wow. Wow.